0: Welcome to Firmly Planted Podcast, where we are seeking to be firmly planted into the scriptures for our everyday lives. I hope you enjoy the show. Click subscribe, and let's dive into God's Word together. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to be looking at the evidences for being a follower of Jesus. And 1 John lays out several reasons why we can know that we are Christian, and whether you have been Following Jesus for a long time, whether you are wondering and wanting to know more about this Jesus, sit back, grab a cup of coffee, thanks for joining, and let's get started. Hello friends, this is Tyler Rains, and I am your host, the Firmly Planted Podcast. I am so happy that you decided to join me here today. As you will begin to see in Firmly Planted, my heart and my desire is for you to know Jesus more. As we get into Scripture and as we walk through passages and answer uh, tough questions of our day through the lens of the Bible, that you will see that the Bible is a beautiful masterpiece of God's mind being brought to us. And before we can dive into the depths of Scripture, we have to look at what does it mean to follow Jesus? I think a lot of people ask this question, and maybe you grew up in church or maybe Uh, you are just beginning to understand this thought of Christianity. And maybe you're curious to know what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus. And Scripture is very clear that we will have evidences in our life that we are saved, that we will have proofs that when we gave our lives to Christ, we meant it. And there's going to be something that flows from that. There's a lot of passages in Scripture, a lot of verses, a lot of chapters that cover this topic. But we're going to be spending this podcast and the next podcast looking at an overview idea found in the book of 1 John. And the book of 1 John is a wonderful letter written by one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was in the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. John writes this beautiful letter, and it outlines the life of a Christian. And not just the life of a Christian, but it is really the blueprint and the basics of Christian faith, you, you think of uh, playing a sport and you have the basics. For example, I love basketball. I love to see uh, a really good team play an all awesome basketball. And maybe it's Steph Curry. Maybe you're thinking of LeBron James. Or if you're old school, you love Michael Jordan and Shaquille O'Neal and some of those guys. And you think about their skill and, and all that they can do with, with that basketball. But it all began with the basics. It began with dribbling. It began with shooting. It began with learning plays, learning how to play defense, the basics of moving your feet, and all of the the foundations that they had to have to actually play the game of basketball. If you ask any of those people what continued in their life as a basketball player and in their career, they would tell you that Nine times out of ten, they would go back to the basics. They would go back and look at how to dribble, how to shoot, how to do these basic things. And that's what we have to do as a believer, is that we have to go back to the basics many times and say, okay, what, what is the basics of following Jesus, and what does it look like? So let's go ahead and dive in and let's look at the first evidence of what a true Christian looks like. And the first evidence is a true Christian cannot ignore sin. We find that in chapter 1 verses 5 through 10, and let's read that. Verse 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And his word is not in us. John immediately contrasts these two thoughts light and darkness. We know the difference between light and dark. And light and darkness is is often used as a metaphor for something that is pure, something that is good, and something that is evil or wicked. You see that in Hollywood, you see that in books, you see that in stories. And we see it all through the Bible. And here John is using a very familiar metaphor in describing God and describing sin. He says God is light. God is pure. God is is without anything evil. And then in Him there is no darkness at all. And then he goes on to talk about that if we have fellowship with him and our lives are not shown as having light but having darkness, then we don't practice the truth. We're not really following Jesus. Because the idea of darkness is related to sin, is related to the world, is related to the things that are completely opposite of God. And this idea of fellowship with jesus and walking in darkness they're all in the present verb tense and so it's talking about a continual process is a continual thing something that's happening day in and day out and a true christian is going to confront sin in their life it is impossible for a follower of jesus to have close relationship with him have close relationship with god and yet continually live in sin. But as humans, if we think about this, it's hard for us to admit when we've done wrong. No one wants to be that person that says, hey, yep, that's me, I've done wrong, I've messed up. We don't like doing that. No one wants to admit their failures. That's human nature. It's natural for us to live that way. Yet, as a believer, we will admit our sin, because we have the Holy Spirit drawing us and convicting us closer to God. But many times, our life is ascribed as not treating sin as a big deal. Scripture puts a huge deal on sin. But how do we often treat sin? We treat sin as if it's like not a big deal. It's something that doesn't affect other people. So what really matters about it? Maybe no one's going to notice. No one sees what's happening. So really, who cares? Um, Maybe what we're doing we actually don't really think is is sin. Or sometimes we just try to forget that, yeah, I messed up, but I'm just going to pretend like it never happened. I'm not going to address it and move on. And, and almost try to have the, the men in black neuralizer, uh that, that changes our minds to pretend like we forget completely. But as a Christian, we cannot live this way. A Christian will be one who confesses sin to Jesus. Because a Christian will not live in sin. The idea of practicing sin, the idea of day in and day out, of habitual sinning. Verse 7, he says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We don't have time to get into what verse 7 is saying there in in entirety, but verse 7 has some beautiful promises here that to follow Jesus is to follow the light and think about it. Jesus shows us how we are to live, the life of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, of following in the footsteps of Jesus, following what the Bible has to say. It's described as walking in light, walking in purity. And as we walk in the light, one, we have fellowship with others, who are also walking in the light. But not just that, but the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We have this idea. That's where we get the idea of sanctification, that we are day in and day out not becoming sinless because we are imperfect. We are sinners. We will make mistakes as Christians, yet we're sinning less. And so here we are seeing that confessing sin is something that is essential to a believer. Because, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And then that word again, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word cleanse is katharizo. And we get the word kathar. And I'm not going to go into all what a catheter does. You can go look that up. Um, but the, it, it's, it's the idea of cleaning out something. That the sin in our life, when we confess it, when we admit, when we not just agree with God about it, but we see the magnitude of our sin, the depths of our sin, of what it does to a holy God, He cleanses that sin from us. It is a, God is purifying our life as we admit and agree and turn from that sin. And a true Christian cannot live in unconfessed sin. We will confess our sin. But now there will be times, as a believer, we will all have this, where we are not walking close to Jesus, where there will be times where we do live in sin, and, and God is going to draw us back to himself. God is going to, to because we have the Holy Spirit, he will draw us to confess our sins to him. And so a Christian cannot ignore sin. We cannot ignore the sin in our life. But number two A true Christian obeys God's commands. We see this in chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. To the one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walks. When we think about this word obedience, we have a lot of negative connotations with that. Because to think of obedience, we think of something like a dictator making you do something that you don't want to do. Or maybe like a dog obeying the the trainer or or its master and so we view we, we have those those presuppositions and we bring them into our relationship with Jesus and when we see this idea of doing and following and obeying God's commandments we see God as this dictator that is just trying to impute things onto our life that we do not want to have, but we're forced to do it, and whether we like it or not. And, but that is, that is the wrong idea of obedience. Following God's commands and living in obedience to Him is a beautiful thing in the Christian life. Obedience to God's Word, obedience to His commands, brings freedom and peace in our life. And a genuine knowledge of Jesus, a genuine experience of who Jesus is, is going to lead you to obey God's commands. We will be described as believers as one who follows God's commands. And our greatest motivation for obeying God is found in this passage. It's what Jesus did for us. It's his love for us. Look in verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been perfected. This is one of my favorite phrases in the the letter from John. Because think about what he's saying here. This is so, so cool. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. This idea of perfected is not talking about something that has become without fault, something that has become truly perfect. The word perfected is actually speaking of this idea that is finished or completed. It's teleo in the Greek, and it's to bring to an end or to accomplish. Now check this out. By obeying God's commands in our life, the love of God achieves its purpose in our life. Because the love of God, the love that God shows us, motivates us to follow Him closely. Because it brings about change. Following God's commands, following the things in Scripture, what what, what God calls us to be, the, the way that he's laid out life for us because he knows what we need far more than what we think we need. He, he knows far more than what we know. He is infinite and we are finite. And so as we follow his commands, his love is accomplished in us. Because as we follow his commands... We abide in Him, and that word abide is talking about remaining. It's dwelling with Him. A Christian is ascribed as dwelling with Jesus, and a part of that is obeying Him. Because the more that you dwell with Jesus, the more that you want to follow His commands. And the more that you follow His commands, the more that you want to dwell and spend time with Jesus. And verse 6 is so beautiful. He who abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. The word Christian has has been described, and we have a lot of cliches in Christianity. I I hate that we don't realize some of these grace statements because they're cliches. But there's a cliche that that a lot of us hear, and, and I don't want you to miss this because it's so true. A Christian means a little christ it's little christian that is what christian is it, we are defined by being representatives of jesus because what god has done on the inside of us is going to flow out is going to be shown on the outside and obedience is a huge part of that because as christians we will want to follow god's commands because we know they are true. We know they are perfect. And we know and we have experienced His love. And because of His love for us, it motivates us to obey Him. Because He gave everything for us. The least we can do is follow Him closely. Number three, a true Christian does not love the world. A true Christian doesn't love the world. 1 John 2 15 through 17 lays this out for us. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. You see, and you and if you've noticed, you, you see this word world frequently in First John. And not just in 1 John, but throughout uh, the, the New Testament. And the word world it isn't just talking about this globe and this this earth that we live on, but it's the worldly system. It's we can phrase it differently as culture do not love the culture nor the things in the culture, if you want to put it in a more modern context, if you will. But a Christian is not going to love the things and the systems of the world because culture is used by the enemy and is against God. Now, things in, not all things in culture is evil, so please don't hear something I'm not saying. I'm not saying, okay, Go and be a monk, shave your head, wear a robe, and sit in a corner the rest of your life, completely disconnect from the world and people because all the world is evil. That's not what I'm saying by any means. But there is this idea that a Christian is not going to love the things that are opposed to God. They're not going, a Christian will not love the things that bring us away from Jesus. Because a Christian, by definition, is to look differently and act differently because of our relationship with Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in all of history besides Jesus, he said this, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Did you catch that? Because the world has so much influence over the church. We're supposed to impact the world, not let the world impact us. Yet so many Christians and so many churches have let the world and the culture shape what we do and not let God shape what we do. We are told not to love the world because the things in the world is not from the father if anyone loves the world to love of the father is not in him because he says he answers why this is such a big deal in verse 16 for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the father but is from the world for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh lust of the eyes and the boastful pride Of life. These three areas of temptation, flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, they are the same tactics that Satan used in Genesis chapter 3 to bring sin into this world. Adam and Eve fell to these three same tactics, and Satan still uses it today because it works. Because the lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Lust of the flesh, what brings us satisfaction, what brings us contentment, the things that, that we try to fill our joy and our satisfaction with apart from Jesus. Lust of the eyes, the things that we see and we are drawn to. Sin is always wrapped up into something that looks so beautiful, but it is a deadly poison to your life. And many times we fall into sin. We do things that we know is wrong because it feels right in the moment. But the things that we do that feels right in the moment do not always make them right. Sometimes we quickly find out how wrong they really were. And then the boastful pride of life. This is the heart of many, many sins in our life, because we are the leader. Because, because of pride, it's so easy for us to fall to sin. The real one thing that God said that He hates in Scripture, in Proverbs, is, is pride. And so these three areas of temptation is what the world is focused on. The world, the culture, is focused on what pleases us what looks beautiful, and what brings you the greatest success to your name. Flesh, eyes, and the pride of life. But all of these things, the satisfaction that the things that may look so beautiful and the things that build up ourselves in some way, they will be out of existence but the thing that will live forever is doing the will of God. Verse 17, the world is passing away and also its lust. These things are going to fade away. What the enemy is doing in your life, the, 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 the uh, temptations that occur in our life, they will fade away. What the world offers you will not last, but what God offers you will last for forever. Because doing the will of God brings about the greatest satisfaction. Bringing about the will of God is the most beautiful thing you can do. Bringing about the will of God in your life, living out God's will for your life, not what the world says you should do, but what, what God is leading you to do through His Word and through, through His Spirit, brings Him glory and not yourself. Number four, a true Christian is faithfully involved in church. A true Christian is faithfully involved in church. Just one verse. 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all were not of us. In verse 18, he he explains what he's talking about here. He's talking about the Antichrist, and it's not talking about the Antichrist that we think of when it comes to end-time prophecy, as uh, as uh, how it was portrayed and left behind with, it, with the character Nikolai. But the, the Antichrist here is just one who opposes Jesus. Anti means against, and so against Christ. And so he says, you have heard the Antichrist... Is coming even now many antichrists have appeared is that there are many who do not follow Jesus he says in verse 19 that they went out from us so there's this idea and many theologians many scholars believe that what John is referring here is to many uh, many people who were in the church who came as if they were Christians but prove that they really were not Christians because they didn't remain with them. And so what, what John is given a glimpse to us here is that as believers, we will remain faithful to the church. We remain faithful to the faith. We will desire to be with other Christians. We will desire to be in fellowship with other Christians. And there are so many things in our life that pull our attention away from being faithfully involved in church, and the New Testament church, <clears throat> the, the mission of the New Testament church is to grow believers and then to send them out into the world with the gospel. And please hear me that the church is not a building. The church is not that that place with a steeple, or some some churches now don't have steeples anymore. But the the church is not the building. The church is not the facility that we meet in. The church is the people. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the members that that are dwelling there, and we need every member in the church. If you are a follower of Jesus, your church needs you. Your church needs you. Uh, we are we are giving gifts as believers to serve faithfully into the church. We're to. Use what God has given us to help others grow in their walk with him and to make the greatest impact with the gospel into our community. As a faithful follower of Jesus, we will want to be faithfully involved in church. This is why quarantine was so detrimental to Christians, because in many places, the physical gathering of the body of christ was pulled away for some time and then that's when depression and anxiety and things rose because we need each other god created us for a community and the church was never meant to be done online and the church was never meant to be done away from people the church was meant to be done in a community because that is the definition of what it means to be the body of christ in Hebrews chapter ten, <clears throat> the author, who I believe is Paul, is writing and, and telling us what, what it looks like for us to be faithful to church. He says in verse ten, verse I and mean, he says in chapter ten, excuse me, verse twenty three and twenty five, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Again, to help each other grow in our walks with Jesus. Not forsaking the assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. When people share the same divine nature as we do as followers of Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit within us, we will want to enjoy fellowship with each other. Because we have the same common mission, and that is to reach people for Jesus and to grow closer to Jesus, we will want to be faithful to each other in church. And so a true Christian is one who remains faithful in church. Not in a legalistic way where you miss a Sunday and you are viewed as a hypocrite but one who desires to be with other Christians. There will be a desire in your life that you want to be with your church family. There will be that desire there. Number five, the last one we're going to look at in this podcast episode, is a true Christian confesses that Jesus is God. A true Christian confesses Jesus is God. Also in chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, John tells us this. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. These two verses describe the idea of accepting or rejecting Jesus. This thought here, of Jesus and the Father directly connected is emphasized all throughout John's writings. He focuses on Jesus saying, I am, the I am statements. From referencing Moses in the Old Testament when he was delivering the people of, Israel, uh, people of Israel from Egypt, he asked, in whose name do I go? And God said, I am that I am. That's the idea of Yahweh, that where we get the word Yahweh, the name of God. And so by Jesus saying that I am, Ego Amy in the Greek, he is talking and referencing to his direct connection with him and the Father. And John emphasizes that again here, that to deny the Father, or to deny the Son, is also to deny the Father, because they are one. And we enter into a relationship with Yahweh because of Jesus, through a relationship with Jesus. And we cannot have God in our life, we cannot be a Christian without confessing that Jesus is God, without believing completely on Him as Lord. And this passage introduces to us how to enter into a relationship with Jesus. Salvation is not based on going to a pastor. It's not based on being faithful to church. It's not based on what you do for God. Being a Christian is grounded completely in our faith and trust in Jesus. Ephesians chapter two, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest you should boast. We have nothing to boast in in our Christian life. We have nothing to boast in our salvation because it's not of us. Your relationship with Jesus is not based on what you do. It's all based on what Jesus did for you. But we have to verbally profess that Jesus is God. Romans tells us that whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord with his mouth and believes in his heart. Romans ten eight through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. You believe in your heart and you confess it with your mouth. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth a verbal profession that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise, a beautiful promise. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, catch this, with the mouth, verbally, he confesses. With the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. How can I know I have entered into a relationship with Jesus? How can I know that what I prayed was the right thing? Confessing Jesus with your mouth is Lord and believing in your heart that he rose the third day, that he conquered what you could not conquer, and that is sin. You believe that what Jesus did on the cross and that he, that he accomplished what you could not accomplish, defeating death, defeating sin, you believe that with every fiber of your being and you confess that Jesus is God, you confess and believe, you receive. When you confess and believe, you Receive. Those are the first five tests of being a true Christian, the marks of a Christian. In next episode, we're going to be looking at the next five that are found in First John, and there are others as well throughout the letter of First John. There's others as well in in Scripture, but I hope that this overview and I hope that uh, looking at these tests of a Christian will do one of two things for you. One, I hope that as we look at these and as we looked at these first five today, it'll encourage you as a follower of Jesus that when you gave your life to Christ, you really were changed. And then maybe there's some areas that you have to work on because we, will, we are not perfect and, and we have a long way to go. We are all broken people. Um, I love I love the phrase that was said by one pastor years, years ago. That the church is not a museum for saints, but it is a hospital for sinners. And we are all in desperate need to be healed from our sin. As a follower of Jesus, it's a daily process. It is not a microwave Christianity. It is a daily process of God working in us, changing us, making us into His image, into uh, what He desires us to be. And it's all on Him. It's, it's, it is it's focusing fully on Jesus. And I'm thankful that we just have to trust Him. We have to follow Him. We have to completely rely upon Him. That's what that idea of faith is. And then God works in your heart. But then also number two, maybe you're hearing these and maybe you heard them for the first time or maybe you have heard these thoughts before about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and you're not entirely sure that you are saved. And my prayer for you is that if you're hearing these, and you are not sure of your salvation, that you can be sure. Remember Romans 10 said that you will be saved. It's not a hope so, it's not a maybe so, it's not a think, I'm pretty sure, no, you will be saved. We can have assurance of our salvation. Scripture is very clear on that, that you can know without a doubt that you are a follower of Jesus. And if you are not sure, please, please reach out to me. Please reach out to your local pastor. Please reach out to a person that you trust. And walk through Scripture and look at your life and evaluate whether you are in the faith. And I, and I promise you that you can know without a doubt that you are saved if you are not sure today. And you can make that right. Today's a day of salvation. Do not wait until tomorrow. Do not wait another moment. Today's a day of salvation. You are not promised another breath. But God loves you. God sent Jesus so that you can have hope, not just in this life, but have hope eternally. And the life that Jesus promises us is not one of fame or success or having all the the things that we would ever want in life. But he promises us the greatest thing that we could ever need, and that's himself, the very presence of God. And there's nothing greater than walking with Jesus. There's nothing greater than than having a close relationship with the God of the universe, the God that created you and the God that That died for you. I'm thankful that you decided to join me here on Firmly Planted Podcast, and I cannot wait till next time as we look at the next five tests of a true Christian. I'll see you then. Hey, friend, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, would you please subscribe and share this episode? As I hope that we can get firmly planted into as many people's lives as possible. Because there is nothing greater than walking through Scripture to know Jesus.